This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Grab a seat. And as you're doing so, open up your Bibles to the book of Haggai. If you... Good. If you're unfamiliar with Haggai, which would be understandable if you are, you, you start in the New Testament, first book of the New Testament, Matthew. You go take a left into the Old Testament, and you'll hit uh, Malachi, and then you'll hit, I believe, Zechariah, and then Haggai. So it's, it's uh, at the end of your Old Testament. Great to be together this morning. We are in a series called Revival. We're talking about how God renews and revives his people, how he gives a fresh start, how he, by his presence, makes us aware of him in a way that we previously weren't aware of him. And we've been looking at uh, last week, this week, and next week at the book of Haggai and how God uh, intervened among his people and how he changed their priorities One of the sure signs of renewal in the Holy Spirit is that our priorities change. Things that previously seemed very important to us in light of God, in light of eternity, in light of his holiness, in light of his purpose for our life, all of a sudden they seem pretty trivial. They seem pretty passing. And and things which maybe we weren't paying much attention to, like God's purpose for our life, like how we're investing all of our time, our relationships, our resources, our energy, our gifts, our service, what we're doing with all the stuff he's given us and who he's made us, all of a sudden it appears very important that we are called to live for his glory. And that's exactly what happens during Haggai's time is God wakes his people up to his purposes for them and they respond. So today we're going to look at Haggai 1 verses 12 through 15, but we must read verses 1 through 11 because you may not have been here last week, and it it is just the context that really explains what happens in verse 12 and through 15 and makes verse 12 and 15 just glorious. If we don't get verses 1 through 11, we don't see how glorious verses 12 through 15 are. So verse 1, Haggai 1. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, 
while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month in the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Revival, which we have just read of, an historic event in which you uh, brought an awakening to the people of God, and you stirred them by your Spirit, and you drew them back to yourself and to your purposes, and your people unified, unified in the fear of the Lord and in the service of the Lord. Lord, and so we pray today that as we read this text, that the same effect that the words of Haggai had in Israel 2,500 years ago, Lord, we pray it would have the same effect today in us here in Frisco, Texas, uh, this day. So speak to us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's the background to what we just read, because the background's super important, and we went over the background uh, last week. But here it is. Uh, Israel, which was God's people, had been uh, living apart from him. They had rejected their God in many ways, had worshipped idols. God had sent a lot of prophets, which were messengers to bring his word, and uh, they had just resisted the prophets. And finally, after so many warnings... Uh, and so much forbearance and patience, the Lord lovingly disciplined his people to get their attention and draw them back to him. And what he did was he sent an invader in, and uh, Babylon destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and carted off the majority of people of Israel. Most of the people were taken to Babylon in 586 B.C. And so they are there in exile. It is one of the lowest points in their history. They don't have their city. They don't have their temple. They don't have their functioning priesthood. Uh, They're in a foreign land subjected to the Babylonians. Well, they cry out to God, and what God does is he raises up another leader. You know, one tyrant's always replaced by another. And so this guy named Cyrus, uh, who's a Persian, he comes and he takes over and begins to rule Babylon. And here's one of the first things he does. In 538 B.C., he issues a decree that the people of Israel should return home. They should be let go. They should be sent back to Israel to rebuild their temple. Now, this is grace for God to take a pagan ruler and to have him 
make a mandate that God's people should go build God's temple and worship God. Amazing. It's the grace of God. It's a picture of, it's really good news. It's a picture of God freeing his people. They come out of exile, they come into the land, and there in the land they are brought back to worship him. That's why they come back. So they come back, they start working on the temple, work on the foundation, but then some things happen. Uh, They really realize we've got to resettle in our land. It's been a lot of years, more than 50 years by this point, or about 50 years since anyone lived here. It's desolate. We got to start building our own houses. We got to plant crops. And also they, they encounter some opposition from their neighbors. And so they just sort of say, well, let's hold off on the house of the Lord. 538. Now we know exactly when Haggai is written because we get the we get the date at the very beginning. So on August 29th, 520 BC, God speaks to his people through Haggai. It's been 18 years. They've come back to the land and they've brought been brought back for one purpose, to build the temple so that God may be glorified and worshiped. It's 18 years and they've essentially done nothing. And so God breaks the silence and he speaks to them. And what he speaks to them in those first 11 verses, we realize they have forgotten their purpose. They're saying it's not yet time to build the house of the Lord. And, uh, and, and yet that's why he brought them there. That's the very purpose. That's why they're there. It's not yet time. And so because they have forgotten their purpose, which is to glorify God by building his house, they choose other priorities. When we forget our purpose for living, which is to glorify God, when we forget our purpose, we will pursue wrong priorities. And so what do they pursue? They just busy themselves about their own world. They build their own houses. They worry about their own houses. They live in paneled houses. And God says to them, how is it not time to build my house, yet you've got plenty of time to be busy about your house? They're active, they're busy, they're doing stuff, they're consumed with their schedules, and, and God's house lies in ruins. They're not giving themselves to what he's called them to. And, and what he says is, because of that, you're not satisfied. You eat and want more food. You clothe yourselves, they don't function. You need new clothes. You're, 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 you get cold, is what he says. You make money, you make good money, and you pour it into a bag. It's like a bag with holes in it. You have nothing to show for it at the end of the day. Why? Well, he says, because I've blown on it. I have resisted you. I have resisted you because you have ignored me. And I've resisted you so that you would wake up and see what awaits you. Me, God, you can have God or you can have your little world. You can build the kingdom of me, this small little myopic world, which is all about me, or you can give yourself to what you were created for. And, and so for that reason, he, he, he blows on what they have and, and they, they come to a place of need. And, uh, and then he, he shows that really what he calls them to, to glorify him, is immensely practical. Verse 8, go up to the hills bring wood, build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Super practical, super practical. Just go up the hill, cut some wood, come down here, nail the wood, build the building. Just that's how you will glorify me and I'll take pleasure in that work because you're building the house of God. So today we want to look at the the next passage to see how they really respond to him. And I'm going to talk very practically about how we build the house of God. And let me just say before we get into this, if you're new here and saw a drawing out in the lobby of a building that we hope to build in Frisco Square, this sermon has 
almost zero to do with that. Now, I wouldn't say that's irrelevant to our purpose as a church, but it's way down the list. This is not about building a physical building. They built a physical building because their building, that was where sacrifices were offered. That's where the presence of God was. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. That's where all of their worship centered around. Under the new covenant, our worship is different. Jesus says that he's the temple. And so when we think of the temple, we think of Christ in the first place, that he is the temple of God, the very presence of God with his people, and now he's poured out the Holy Spirit on us. And secondly, the temple of God is the people of God. So Peter says in his letter in the New Testament that you are living stones, that we are each stones that are being built into a spiritual house. So when we build the house of God, we focus on Christ who is the temple, and we focused on investing in his people and building his people. We don't talk about building a structure, and that's the house of God. The house of God is is his people, and so that's how we apply something like this. Well, God speaks after 18 years, and he wakes them up, and here's how they respond. Number one, they hear. They hear. Look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet. They obey the voice of the word of God. Now this word obey is interesting because it literally means to hear. And you sort of pick that up in the text because it says that they, they obey the voice. They obey the voice of the Lord. It's Haggai that speaks, but it's really the voice of God to them. So when we read the scripture, it may be my voice you know, that, that you hear in your ears. But if I'm reading the scripture, it is the voice of God that you hear. And so they hear the voice of God and they obey. And this word obey, it means to hear in a sense of heeding a request. So it's a responsive hearing. It's a hearing that, that sends us into action. It's a hearing in which we, we pay heed to what is being said to us. And we act, and so they translated it, obey. It's the difference, if you're a parent, you understand this. It's the difference in your voice going out to your children, saying, pick up your toys, and then coming back, and there's no toys picked up. And then maybe you you said it in a normal voice, uh, truth be told, maybe you said it in a loud voice. And, uh, oh, I didn't hear that. And yet you can whisper, let's go get ice cream. And they can be three houses down and hear that and come running and I'm ready. So one is a hearing that is sort of ignoring because I don't really want to do what I'm being told. The other is I'm leaning in. I'm I'm paying heed to what you're saying. This is the ice cream deal. God speaks and they hear and they respond and they obey. And notice he begins with, the first mention is the leaders. Zerubbabel who is the governor, and Joshua is their priest, with all the remnant obeyed the voice. So they're mentioned first. As a matter of fact, the very first oracle, that is a message that Haggai gives, is just to them. In verse 1, he speaks to them first of all and says, this people, these people say the time has not yet come to build the house of the Lord. So he speaks directly to them and then to all the people. And then here we hear that they and the people respond. So God is speaking to his leaders to rebuild the house. And this is often, this is an important principle because this is often how God works is that he addresses and brings vision 
and in this case, correction to leaders so that they are able to respond and lead the people in responding. If all the people want to rebuild the house and the governor and the high priest say, not interested, then it's probably not going to get rebuilt. God's going to use them. And that's true for us in, in, in a church. God will often speak to leaders about issues um, and work in their heart, bring them to repentance, bring them to clarity, uh, bring them to an emphasis from the scripture or a, a season of life in a church and speak in that way. This is how it often works in a family as well. God will often work in a dad's heart or in a parent's heart, a mom's heart, often a dad's heart first, who will begin to work in our hearts so that we, we then begin to lead in a way that affects our family. So God often will speak to leaders, and this is what he does. He speaks to these leaders, and as leaders, they are leaning in as well and listening with the people and, and going first in, in, in the process. So they, they hear. Number two, they fear. They fear. I'm not trying to be cute here, but it just they're both in the text. Actually, the third point is going to rhyme, and it's not in the text. But once you got two, you got to do the third. So they, they, they hear, and then they fear. The end of verse 12, and the people feared the Lord. The word of the Lord produces the fear of the Lord. And the, by the fear of the Lord, it's like this. It's like someone who is asleep. It's like being, being awakened and, and, and startled into reality. They have been asleep for 18 years. And now they fear God. They see God in a different light. They were ignoring God. They were ignoring God's purpose. They knew about God, obviously. But their lives weren't oriented around God. Their lives were oriented around, you are busy with your own house, is what Haggai says. And now they're awakened. God is holy. God deserves our worship. God has given us a purpose. God took a pagan ruler to send us back to our land to build a temple for the worship of God. You think it matters to him? He didn't raise up an Israelite king. He raised up a pagan and put thoughts in his mind and words in his mouth to get them there. This is serious. And after 18 years, they're awake. They're startled. They've got that alarm that goes, eh, 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 that alarm. They've got, and they're woken up. The word of God is spoken. They're fearing God. That they're turning away from their small world and they're moving to God's glory, God's rule, God's pleasure. They're also aware that the resistance they have felt with their crops is because of God. He said, I, I brought a drought. So they were also fearing in the sense of, hey, God rules and God loves us enough that he will bring difficulty into our lives to get our attention so that we come back to him. That's what God has done. So that's serious. They're not taking him for granted. They fear God. They're revived. Whenever there is revival and renewal, there will always be a greater awareness of God, and there will always be a greater sobriety about God. Now, I didn't say somberness. I don't mean that everybody, wow, he, man, he's really revived. He's frowning and looks sad. God must be working. I'm not saying that. But there's a sobriety that God is real. That eternity is long and coming quickly. And, and that the stakes are serious in our lives. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's written on revival and um, is really, I, I think, a, a, uh, one, of the most, one of the best authors and preachers on this subject um, from last, last century. He wrote, 
There is nothing that is so characteristic of revival as a great and deep and profound seriousness with respect to the things of God. When I'm renewed, there will be an, an awareness of the things of God that'll sober my heart, that'll matter, that'll matter. Now, one of the things I've read about historic revival, which is fascinating to me, is that there tends to always be this awareness of the holiness of God, this awareness of the seriousness of God and what he's done for us, mixed with this utter joy in the Lord. So it's not a sobriety that leads to somberness, unless it's a season of repentance, but, but it's a sobriety that leads to joy. It's a sobriety that leads to freedom. It's a sobriety that leads to life. Life. It's the drunken person who's no longer drunk on the world, but's wide awake and realizes what he's been missing. That, so, so that's sober. And then realizes the potential and the purpose of his or her life as a sober person. So they have been awakened. They have been sobered, and there's this awareness. They fear the Lord. They're in awe of God. They reverence God. They respect God. They esteem God higher than anything. There's nothing that is more important or vital or urgent or meaningful than God. And they get it. They hear the word of God. It produces fear. They hear, they fear I apologize for this, but they get in gear. They gear up, and they move out of neutral, and they put it in gear, and they get traction and start going somewhere. That is a beautiful thing. So in an overly sober sermon, and this is one, in an overly sober sermon, you've got to have a moment like they get in gear. So that's what happens. Um, as soon as they respond to God, as soon as they hear his voice, look what the Lord does. This is so, it's, this is beautiful. So they hear the word of the Lord. They've been rebuked. They've been corrected about their priorities. And, and they hear the word of God. They fear him. And look at verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I'm with you. Oh, that's good. What does God want them to know? I'm with you. I don't oppose you. I'm with you. The difficulty you've gone through, because I'm with you. And I want you to know that. He's not only with them, he wants them to know that he is with them. Being renewed is a, being aware of God's nearness and God's presence. I love that about God, that before anyone turns a shovel, before anyone goes up the hill and starts cutting down trees, there's another prophetic word. Wait, don't go yet. You need to know this. Yes, you said it's not time. Yes, you've been busy with your own houses. Yes, I've told you to consider your ways twice. Yes, I've said go cut the trees and build the house of God. But before you go, stop. There's another word. What's everyone expecting? God brings a word through Haggai. What's everyone expecting? Oh, wow. Is there more? Is there more conviction? No, here's the word. This is gospel good news. I am with you. I'm here I'm, a, I'm a helping you. My presence is among you. That is the greatest promise God can give. I'm with you. If God is for us, who can be against us, Paul writes in Romans. If God is with us, what else do we need? The God who spoke everything into existence. One author wrote this, a commentator wrote this, without making specific promises, these words promise everything. So he didn't say anything specific, but I'm with you. That, that promises everything that we need. I am with you. And then here's what happens next. 
something else happens before they go work. So they hear the word of the Lord, but before we find out they go to work, something else happens. Verse 14, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. He stirs up Joshua and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. The remnant is the people who've come back to Israel. All the people are stirred. The leaders are stirred. The people are stirred. So it's not, just, it's not just gospel, I released you out of exile and brought you home, um, and then they fail, and so there's correction, and then they get to work. No, there's more grace. There's grace that brought them home, they blow it, there's grace that disciplines them to bring them to his attention, and now before they go and start obeying, there's grace to tell them, I'm with you, and there's the stirring of the Spirit. That they are getting in gear, they're getting mobilized for action, but it's not just a fleshly mobilization. It's not like, oh yeah, that's really bad, I better change. It's the Spirit of God that stirs them. It's the presence of God that animates their actions. There's something very important here. That behind their response, which we see in verse uh, 14, they came and worked on the house of the Lord. But behind that response is the stirring of the Holy Spirit. They obey because the Spirit is at work in them. The Spirit is is helping them obey. We repent and choose to obey as the Spirit is at work with us. So we see this, this is a revival narrative of the Spirit at work and the people choosing to obey God. The Spirit at work and the people repenting. Well, which is it? Is it God doing something or is it the people's response? Which one is it? It's both. It's both. It, this is a revival narrative that explains, demonstrates to us. Here's a, in story form, Philippians 2, which says, Philippians 2, 12 through 13, work out your own salvation, which is the salvation you've been given. Grow uh, in holiness. It's talking about sanctification here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So as a believer, saved, secure, justified... That's got to be said. As a believer, saved, secure, justified, adopted by the Father. As one, grow in holiness. Work at growing in holiness. Apply yourself to holiness. Apply yourself to repentance. Because God is working holiness in you. God is producing repentance in you. Whoa, which is it? It's both. It is both. We respond because of the Holy Spirit responding in us. So no one can passively say, I don't have to do anything. I'll just think about my justification and God will make me holy. That's not what the scriptures teaches and that's not what happened in Haggai either. Nor can someone on the other hand say, I'm just going to do the right thing. I'm just going to go and be active. I can do this in my strength, my self-will, my power. No. We take a step of faith and act, but we're asking the Spirit to change our heart. We're asking the Spirit to do this. Stir me up, Lord. I want to do what I know is right, but I need you to stir me up. Lord, tell me your promise again that you're with me, that you're helping me. I need your promise of your presence, the Spirit which lives in us to change us. I need you to stir me, and I need to start building. It's all the above. It's all the above. So this is really important that we don't land in a ditch, but that we stay in the center on this. We work because he is at work in us. We build the church because he's stirring us to build the church. We repent because he is graciously revealing his character to us. He's convicting us, and he's giving us power to change. All the above. It's we act because he is at work in us. 
So that's the passage. Then they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Oh, isn't that powerful? In verse 1 or in verse 2, God speaks of them as these people because they're not acting like his people. Now they are, they work on the house of God, their God. Now they're acting like his people. They're doing what they were committed, what they were created rather to do. So how does this work out? How, what does this mean to us? How do we build the house of God? Would it be okay if I'm very practical here? Um, some of the revival series has been 30,000 feet. Some's been 10,000. Some's been on the ground, practical. Now, I'm getting on the ground right now. My favorite moment in the revival series of being on the ground was when Brother Rob, who I affectionately call him, uh, told us, to get into the Bible and to study the Bible, number one, it was on the screen, you got to get a Bible. I mean, that was a highlight for me. Just, yeah, you got to get, that's, pl- yeah, that's, that's spelling, tell it, tell it like it is. You got to have a Bible to read the Bible. You got to open or click, you got to have a Bible to read the Bible. So we're, we are masters at pointing out the obvious around here. And uh, I don't like to compare, but just, just, just know you can't get that depth of teaching at every church. That to read the Bible, you got to have a Bible. Now, I'm about to say the same thing, some things like this, that you may not get some, 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 some of this plainness. Well, he, here's how we build the house. We build the house of God. We glorify God. That's what he said. Build my house so that I'll be glorified. Build my house so I'll take pleasure in it. We build the house of God by building the people of God. Building the people. It's not a structure. I've said before uh, that the, the childhood thing, which I, I hope has gone away. I learned it as a kid, though. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. i, oh, I got to prepare my hands for this. Okay, here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door, and there's all the people. You guys know that? You guys know that? Okay, that's, that's heretical, just so you would know. <clears throat> because, really, this is not the church. This is the church. So I don't know what the rewrite is, but, like, you know, uh, here's the building, which is not the church, and it has a steeple, and open up the door, and that's the church. But that's a little clunky, so that doesn't, but that's what it is. Build the church isn't Frisco Square. It isn't this. Build the church is this. See, that, again, I'm telling you, it's plain as can be. You don't get this everywhere. Uh, this is the church right here. <clears throat> I'm tempted to have you all do it, but I'm not going to do that. So if we are to build, what does that mean? How do we make the pri- how do we reorient our priorities? How do we change from I'm busy about my house to I'm busy about the Lord's house? Well, here's the first thing. We build God's house by investing in corporate worship, gathered worship, what we're doing right here. Obviously, you believe that. You're sitting in the room. We build God's house by investing in our gathered worship. Another way to say it, we build God's house by saying the first day of the week, which the New Testament calls the Lord's day, the first day of the week, Sunday, the day of the resurrection, it's your day, Lord. Now, every day is his day, but the first day is his day in a unique way. So it's saying, Lord, this is your day. I want to build the people of God by making this the first day, the most important day. Stir me in this. That's what he says. He stirred them and they built. That word stir means rouse, by the way. Rouse me about gathered worship. Rouse me to invest in the Lord's day. Rouse me to be a participant that is fully invested in what you're doing among the people of God in the house of the Lord. Sunday, we are the house of the Lord. Let me ask you some questions. 
Let me ask you some question. What is the priority of participation with the ga- and gathered worship for you? What is the priority of gathering on Sundays with the people of God? Are you busy with your own house, and then this is just sort of something that you just drop into to dedicate an hour and a half and then go about and go back to your house, to be busy about your house, a metaphor for your life? Which is it? How do you prepare for this day? If this is vital to our giving ourselves to building the house of the Lord, how do we prepare? Do we pray during the week for our worship experience on Sunday? Do we pray? Do we pray? Do we pray for the leaders? Do we pray for the children's ministry teachers? Pray for the word of God, which we're going to hear preached to us, which can make a profound difference in our lives. Pray for those who lead us in song and singing, worship through singing. Do we ask God to pour his spirit out upon us? To, in a fresh way to speak to us, to change us? Are we crying out for that? Martin Lloyd-Jones writing about revival, he said, revival comes when the people of God start asking for him to pour his presence out upon them. When the people of God are saying, Lord, saturate us with you. This is not just some meeting. This isn't a club. This isn't a performance. This isn't a, a something that's sort of interesting. This isn't an empty obligation. This is the Spirit of God calling the people of God to be together to encounter God, to hear from God, to express our worship to God, to interact with the people of God. There's nothing like this. There is nothing like, and I don't mean Grace Church, I mean wherever people are gathered around the gospel, there's nothing like it. There's no experience in life like coming with the people of God, worshiping God, hearing from God, being equipped, fellowshipping, praying, experiencing the spiritual gifts, experiencing God, building his family together. There's nothing like it. it, it is a, it's actually a foretaste of heaven. It's actually a foretaste of heaven. Parents, do we prepare our children for, for this day? During the week, do you prepare? Are we looking for it? Is there anticipation? Is there any prayer? But that's a great way to pray with our families, to pray that God would move on Sundays, to prepare them for what they're going to hear, either in here or in their children's ministry, to create anticipation. Is there thought? Is there preparation? Do we guard our Saturday night so that we are prepared to hear from God in our most alert stage, engaging the deepest way possible because this is what he brought us into the land for. He brought us out of exile. He brought us out of slavery through Christ. Jesus died, was buried, and rose to forgive us of our sins and put us in his family for the purpose of glorifying him by building his house so that he would take pleasure in it. He's he's ordained us to do more than this. I'm not saying this is everything. I could be given a whole sermon about work. I could be given a whole sermon about parenting. I could be given a whole sermon about life as a student and how you glorify the Lord. So we glorify the Lord in multiple venues. Let me make that clear. But this venue is vital. This venue is vital. They were busy about their house, and they'd forgotten about God's house. Preparation for the Lord's Day really does begin on Saturdays. It's interesting. uh, In the Old Testament, the Sabbath was sundown to sundown. Part of that, I think, was you engaged the night, Friday night. Saturday was a Sabbath there. But you also engaged afresh in the morning having some preparation. 
So do we prepare? I mean, I, I understand, especially with little kids, because I had them, they're, and they get old. They're older now. But when they were little, I can imagine, at, at times it's just, hey, prepare for the Lord's Day. If we make it and every kid has two shoes on, this is a victory. I mean, this is a win. What does revival look like for me? We made it on time with everybody clothed, and nobody had a fist fight in the back seat. Revival has hit our house. I get all that. I understand that. I understand there are times and seasons. But can we shoot for God's glory, for something? Can we ask him for something more than just making it? Do we prepare our hearts to meet God on Sunday morning? It, 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 I don't know if you've ever done this, but Sunday is very different when I come prepared. Now, I'm obviously, if I'm preaching, uh, I, I'm prepared. But even when I'm hearing someone else bring the word, it's different. If I wake up and I begin to warm my heart up in the word of God, begin to preheat my heart before I come in here, I come into the meeting, it is very different than if I say, well, I don't do devotions on Sunday. This is my devotion. Craig will preach a sermon. That is my devotion. Yeah, you will get something, hopefully, out of this that will be of devotional nature. But have I engaged my heart, or do I come in cold, and I've got to get defrosted through the first couple of songs? Because I have not preheated my heart by the grace of God. God's not preheating my heart. I've come in cold, and I need a microwave defrosting. And by song three, by song four, now I'm engaged. There's a very big difference. If, if building the house of God is this vital, then we want to prepare our hearts. Do we arrive early, ready to meet him and bring him glory? I don't know who arrived early and who didn't today. I didn't turn around and look. This is not a correction at anyone. It's just a thought for all of us, myself included here, for sure, myself included. There are unforeseen circumstances. There are things that happen. There are babies that throw up on the way out the door and we were going to be early and now we're late. Absolutely. There's flat tires, all kinds of stuff. Power went off, alarm didn't go off. Yes, stuff happens. But as a lifestyle, is my heart roused and stirred to build the house of God, to hear from God, to engage with God, and to be involved? Listen, this wasn't just some random building project he was calling them to. This was his glory he was calling them to. And same here. This isn't just, well, we're singing some songs. Those are kind of some nice songs to kind of like warm us up a little bit for the sermon. Kind of like that one. Don't really like that one. wonder why there was no drums today. Did you notice that? wonder why there was no drums. wonder what's happening. Yeah. Am, am I just that? Or am I engaged? And, and, and is there a sense in which I'm here and I'm ready let me talk about myself here a little bit and a little bit about the other pastors, but this is really about me because I'm the lead pastor and we're all involved. We govern together, but I, my role is, is a bit unique, so I want to take some responsibility here. We've created a very casual environment here, very casual environment. The decor is casual. It, it's not high church. There's no stained glass. We, don't, we have casual, uh, informal music. We don't have a pipe organ. I'm not preaching in a row. Uh, we can't even adjust our lighting hardly. I mean, we've got this, uh, this, this uh, you know, kind of gross fluorescent lighting. That'll change in the new building. But we can't adjust the lighting to give a more formal or less formal. It's casual. The dress is casual for most of us. So we dress casual. The decor is casual. The music is casual and informal. But we dare not have casual hearts towards the Lord. 
And we dare not get me in a robe and pop up some stained glass and think that'll change anybody's heart either. The answer is not formal exteriors. The, the answer is that in the midst of a casual environment, that my attitude isn't just sort of sauntering in in a casual thing. Oh, it's like, kind of like the band and kind of got my coffee. And it's just like I'm, you know, like I'm at a concert or something. But my, my heart needs to be awakened and engaged. I, I take responsibility for this. I was convicted this week that numbers of times in the second service, I'm always here early. But in the second service, sometimes I'll get involved in t- talking, and I will walk in after the music's already playing. From the back, all the way right around there, all the way up into the front, setting an example for everyone. And I'm going to really work on that. I felt convicted about that. I might get involved if someone's in a crisis and has to talk to a pastor right now, and I'm there. There might be a place for occasionally uh, me to be serving someone in crisis. But as a pattern, you don't see this, but the second service says, I kind of come in uh, sometimes after it's started. And so do some of you. Last week, I got up to give a call to worship. Call to worship is a word from God. I read scripture where God says, come to me and worship. I did it in the first service, and four people appreciated it and were called to worship because none of us were here. Here's what happened in the second service. I forgot I was supposed to do it. That's casual. Tim has to come find me and say, Craig, two minutes, and you're up giving the call to worship. So I'm not dumping something on you. I'm talking to me. So that, that was not a very good moment. That was an acceptable moment for me to say, whoa, I, this is serious. The second service I gave up to get, and it was just everybody in the lobby. I was done. I was off the stage or into the first song before anybody bothered to come in. And I, I, it's, and I, and, but I had to be reminded to be here to do the call of worship. So I'm not, I'm not whipping anybody but myself here. But this ain't the ball game where you're out getting nachos and it's okay to miss the first three batters. This is the presence of God, the glory of God, and I want to be awakened. It's not a performance. It's encountering God. I will be in no environment where I'm speaking to anyone more important than God at 9 a.m. this week. I will not be hearing from anyone more important than God from 9 to 1030 this week in this service. God's speaking, and I want to hear, I want to listen, I want to be involved. I've led the pastors in February. We, we read two books on liturgy, and we studied it, and we spent extended time, I can't remember how long, but extended time away from the office discussing it. And here's what we learned. We learned a lot of things, but here's what we learned from two robust books on liturgy uh, is that folks that typically have a more formal liturgy, at some point when that was written, it becomes a dry habit oftentimes for people. But when that was written, it was super intentional. And I was just convicted that w- the pastors under my leadership have not been adequately intentional. And it's just been a sleeping. It hasn't been some kind of, oh, man, let's just be super cash. It's just been, we're waking up on that. We're turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, you are holy. Help us to be very intentional in what we do in this gathering. And help us to do it with, with responsiveness to you. So I'm not going to have stained glass and a robe and a super formal liturgy next week. We, that wasn't what we came out of it with. But we did come out of it with an intentionality. An intentionality that would, in the service, in, incorporate certain things that would make our service sort of uh, proclaim the gospel. 
So just being alert and on time. Being on time isn't 9 o'clock for the service. It's, let me give you, these are really helpful guidelines. If you're single or you're married without kids, being on time is 8.55. That way you get a little cushion. If you have elementary kids, being on time is 8.50. It's 8.50. If you have babies, toddlers, or teenagers, being on time is 8.45. I can get my toddlers in the car faster than my teenagers at points. It's coming. It's being aware. It's being intentional in this gathering. It's listening, participating, singing, praying, worshiping, greeting, applying, giving, conversing, all saying, this is not just something I do. This is building the house of the Lord. This is giving myself to his purposes. This is the peak of the week. This starts my whole week. And I may do a lot of important things, but nothing, nothing I do rivals what we're doing right now. We build by investing in the Lord's day. We build this house by investing in community. I'm going to make these last two points. Maybe we'll talk about them another time. They're going to need to be very brief. But we build together by building relationships, by bearing burdens, by praying for one another, by befriending one another, by caring for one another, by fulfilling all the one another's of the New Testament. All of that. All of that. Your leaders are seeking to, I'm seeking to grow in this. Leaders are seeking to grow in this as well. So we're happy to go first with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and, uh, and build the house of God. I'd love to invite you to a community group if you're not in one. The new trimester starting like right now today, month of May, it starts the new trimester. We'd love to have you. You can go on the website and look and it tells where all the community groups are. You can jump in to one. Summer affords a great opportunity to do one of two things to be busy about my house, and to disengage relationally and say, I need a time off. Or summer is a time to certainly be busy around my house, take a vacation, get a break. All that is wonderful, biblical, great idea. Get a rest, get a break, all that. But that when I am in town, I'm engaging relationally. So I can pull back and say, oh, this is a time where I don't really need to be involved. Or I can say, fire up the barbecue, have someone over, share our life participate in our group. Maybe the groups are a little more casual at times. Maybe they're a little more relational. Maybe it's a little more parties and barbecues. Great. Being a part of that. It's just, the summer affords us a unique season when we can build the house of the Lord by building community in a relational way. Lastly, we build through investing our resources. At a family meeting, I took responsibility for not teaching on this enough, and I'm going to be giving more illustrations and points like I am right now on this subject because it's very important. The people in Haggai's day were busy with their own house. They had invested money in paneled houses, and yet his house lied in ruins. A contemporary of Haggai is Malachi. And Malachi said to the people of God, not only were they not building his house, but they were robbing him by hoarding or using or consuming funds, their tithe, their funds, instead of investing them in the purposes of God. So they weren't giving their first to God. We give him our first day, Sunday. We give him the first of our finances as well. So when renewal comes, when revival comes to a heart, priorities, things I wasn't thinking about and was sleepy about, all of a sudden become very clear to me. And that can be, how do I engage with God's people? And that can be, how do I spend my resources? Revival brings a reorientation of priorities that will always include our resources. 
want to provide two means of help for you on this. The first one is, uh, if community, you can, you can find a place to get involved on the website. On this one, come to Man to Man on uh, the second Wednesday of this month. Next one, not this Wednesday, but the next. We'll be addressing this. There'll be a panel of guys talking very frankly about this subject, our resources, and then all, how to use our resources, how to manage our resources. Uh, and then also the, the class this summer is all about that, Financial Peace University. We invest ourselves as well. All the remnant built the house. I love that. It wasn't just some people. It said all the remnant built the house. Even guys without construction trade skills like me, I guess you could get a wheelbarrow and haul some dirt. You know, everybody can do something. And so find a place as well to invest yourself. If you would like to find a place to serve, if you've got the store, to the Connect Center, there's a card. That card is also online where you can say, here's a place I'd like to help build the house of the Lord by serving practically on Sundays or in the life of the church. What happened in Israel is God, they heard a word that woke them up, and then God stirred them, and God said, I'm with you, and God put them on mission about his purposes building his house, and they did it. That's why I love this. They did it. They didn't have to go into captivity like they did before. They obeyed the voice of the Lord. So may God rouse us as well. If we are slumbering, and I am wiping some sleep out of my spiritual eyes in some areas personally, if you join me in that, then we want to ask God to repurpose us, to reorient us according to his purposes, to look at, think about what Christ has done for us, not only what he's done to forgive us and to give us new life and to empower us to change, not only as he, what he's done for us for justification and sanctification, but why he's done it. He did it because he loves us and because he wants us to have a purpose in our life glorifying him. And here's the promise. When God brings conviction, here's, the, here's what God also does. He says, I am with you to help you. Not condemnation, but conviction. I am with you to help you. I'm with you to empower you. I am stirring and rousing for my glory. May it be. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.